begin with were and sick, how does that happen? So yes, there is, if you want to really get esoteric with this, we could talk about how God stands above past, present, and future. We have a famous teaching in Kabbalah. The teaching in Kabbalah is that were God to want the world to cease to exist, He would make it cease to exist in a way that it was never created to begin with. How can God do that? Because God is not stuck within the realm of past, present, and future. Maimonides says about these words that the human mind cannot perceive it, the human mouth can't say it, and the human ear cannot hear it. We have no idea what it means to transcend beyond the parameters of past, present, and future. We have no idea what it means to be able to turn back time so that it never happened to begin with. We don't understand that. But we could get esoteric here today and talk about that we understand, or at least we understand that we don't understand, that God could do this. So God could take a person who was sick and heal him in such a way that to begin with, he was never sick. But that won't help us tonight. Tonight we want to talk about it on human terms. Not just understanding that God has His power, which by the way, what I just told you, is a true teaching. But it won't help us here tonight if we want to participate in this power of healing. If we want to connect with this power of healing, we're going to need to take it from a different angle. So the question on the table is that we now understand that God, when He heals, Ani Hashem Rafa'echa, the acronym of the month of year, we're not talking about a regular healing. We're talking about the type of healing which is on a total different quantum leap of quality. We're talking about God's power of healing, which is defined by To begin with, I will not place this upon you. And therefore we have the question, how does that happen once you're already sick? Okay? So... Okay? So, let's talk about a very interesting concept. You find it in the Medrash, quoted many times in Kabbalah, that just like the soul fills the body, so too does God fill the world. You find that a lot of times. Which also becomes the source of that I study God from knowing myself. And that's why in the books of Kabbalah and Hasidus, there's a lot of emphasis on understanding the soul, understanding the body, understanding the relationship between the soul and the body. When we try to get some picture of that, we're now dabbing into the concept of the finite and the infinite having a relationship. And how can the finite live off the infinite? Soul, infinite, peace of God, body, very finite, soul fills body, if we can figure out how that works, we now have a point of reference to understand how God works in the sense of the Medrash teaching us that just as the soul fills the body, so too does God fill the universe. But whenever you have this in the teachings of Hasidus, there's an interesting disclaimer. Where Hasidus says, the metaphor is not precise into that which we're trying to compare it to. Why so? 
So Chassidus will always explain. Because the verse tells us, En Kadosh Kahashem. There is none holy like God. What is the definition of the word holy? Definition of the word holy is separated. Kadosh Umuvdal. It stands separated, it stands alone. And then Kabbalah goes on to explain that when we talk about En Kadosh Kahashem, we go back to the metaphor of the soul and the body. The bottom line is that even though your soul is infinite, even though your soul stands above and beyond the power of the body, nevertheless, once your soul enters the body, it is affected by the body. And that's why our sages teach us, even the greatest righteous tzaddik, the saintliest of all people, once the soul goes into the body, it can no more appreciate and perceive the emotions that it had for God when it stood in the Garden of Eden. Because the limitations of the capacity of the body is real and affects the soul. In some teachings, they go even further and say a simple concept. When you have a headache, you can't study Torah. Studying Torah is the soul's ballpark. The fact that you cannot pray with Kavanah and you cannot study Torah when you have a stomachache or a headache tells me that the soul is subject to the ailments of the body. So here we have a very interesting paradox. The soul in its own right has no concept of sicknesses. A soul cannot get sick. So on one hand, the soul stands untouchable by any type of ailments, sicknesses, diseases, infections, yada, 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 yada. And yet, that very same soul that's untouchable by sicknesses, when it's in the human body, its human body, it now is totally susceptible not to sicknesses, but to the effects of sicknesses. A very interesting paradox. This paradox, by the way, will carry itself throughout the human infrastructure. For those of you who studied a little bit of medicine, you will know that they do not put a person to sleep by a brain surgery because the brain itself has no feelings. And yet, interesting enough, the brain is the source of all feelings. Very interesting. The brain has no feelings, have a sinus attack, and you have a headache. Interesting. The paradox carries again. So the source, in its own right, stands above and beyond all sicknesses. And yet, on that same note, because it is the source... Thus, it closes itself completely within. Therefore, this same source that is not susceptible to any effects of sickness, all of a sudden, because of it being the source, it is susceptible. Let me go back to the original concept. Take a chair, man. Take a chair. Let's go back to the original concept here. En kadosh ka Hashem. Because in the metaphor, we talked about how 
the body and the soul, and that is a metaphor to God and the world. Yet understand it's not a perfect metaphor because God is not affected. En kadosh Hashem. God can permeate, vivify, sustain, and yet remain detached so that he's not affected. I always thought that the body was affected because of the soul. That because the soul has... No, not for this conversation. So while I cannot say, no, you're wrong, because the verse clearly says that the physical is a reaction to the spiritual, God says in the Torah, it's coming up right before Shavuot, and if you follow in my statutes, and yada yada, if not, not, but not what we're talking about now. And understand, please, that the ultimate punishment, if you remember what the Pirkei Avot says, the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah, the reward of a veira is an veira. What that would mean in our language right now is because we did what's wrong, therefore our body was affected, therefore our soul cannot continue studying Torah and do mitzvahs. So it's a chain reaction. Okay? But what we're talking about here right now is that en kadosh ka Hashem, that while God fills the world, permeates the world, sustains the world, He is totally unaffected by the world. Not so with the soul. Why am I bringing this to the table? Because now we're going to study for a moment, so what is the definition of being sick? Definition of being sick is, A, you have a soul that can never get sick. So what we're talking about is the body covering the soul. So instead of the soul's power of being always healthy, the body is covering that power, and now you're feeling the lack of health. Because the body, to quote the great Rabbeinu B'chaya, from its source, the Rabbeinu B'chaya says that the human being, from the moment it's born, begins to decompose. So the body, from the, from the get-go, is already sick. The aging process begins, not when the wrinkles come in, but from the moment you're born. So we have the body, which is by definition the spirit of animal heading downwards. We have the soul, which by definition is the spirit of human always going upwards. And instead of the soul being able to imbue the body with maintaining health, the body is covering the soul and what we're experiencing is sickness. Then it gets worse than that that not only is the body covering the soul, which means the soul remains unaffected, it's just not being able to be in the driver's seat, then it gets worse than that, the soul is affected by the body. So there's a lack of study, there's a lack of kavanah, there's a lack of being able to be emotional, whatever it may be, because right now I'm not feeling good. So we're talking about a double-edged sword in the process of sickness. A... The body is covering the soul. So the soul's, let's use the word omnipotence, which means that it never decomposes, it doesn't get weaker. Spiritual beings do not get weaker. They don't decompose. They're not subject to aging process. While they are evolving at some level, they're not subject to aging process. And then you have the body which by definition is an aging, decomposing creature from the get-go, 
And now that is covering this. Then it gets worse than that, where the body's process of decomposition is actually getting in the way of the soul's experience of life. Okay? So now we're discussing two parts of sickness. Okay? So now what we discussed is that number one, a soul is not subject to sickness. It just doesn't deal with those issues. Then you have the second step, that the body is always decomposing, and the body covers the soul. Then we have the next process, where the body is covering the soul, is not only that it's not allowing the soul to shine, but leaving it alone. You know, like Pharaoh told, Pharaoh told Moses and Aaron the first time around, he says, you guys belong to the tribe of Levi, you're not working anyway, go back home. I'm not bothering you, don't bother me. So there's that relationship, the body's just covering the soul, but he's leaving it alone. And then there's the worst situation where the body's actually affecting the soul. It's affecting the soul's growth. When the soul doesn't grow, it's downwards. There is no statuary position by a soul. It's either going up or it's shrinking down. So now that we understand that, let's talk about the healing process. The healing process has to also be a double-edged sword. We've got to deal with both aspects here. So let's deal with the two aspects that we just mentioned. Number one, where the body is not harming the soul, but it's covering the soul. The outcome being that we are experiencing life only from the eyes of the soul, which is decomposition, which is not feeling well. What's the recovery for that? What's the remedy for that? What's the refua for that? The answer is going to be a very interesting statement in the Tanya, right before chapter 32. We talk about the process of having to make haguf ikar, I'm sorry, God forbid, haneshama ikar vaguf tafel. There is the main dish and there is the side dish. There is the identity and there is the vehicle. We're always going to have to define that situation. Who am I? And what is my using it to get to where I am? Talk about this all the time here. Am I what I have? Or do I have what I have to allow me to be what I am? Huge difference. So over here we're talking about the process of understanding that we need to finally take a stand. We need to have an identity moment. Station identification. We need to define ourselves, who are we? Am I the soul or am I the body? Is my soul important because it gives life to my body? Or is my body important because it is the vehicle which allows my soul to do what it cannot do on its own? Just like your car takes you where you cannot walk to. So too, the body is a vehicle which allows you to do physical mitzvahs, something that the soul cannot do. Mind you, that is the only reason why the soul agreed to leave 
paradise and come down here. Because it realizes that the body has something to offer it that it on its own right cannot have. The soul is spirituality. In the final analysis, spirituality is a radiance while the physical is an embodiment of essence. So while in heaven, the feminine soul had all the spirituality of lighting Shabbat candles, and the male soul had all the spirituality of putting on tefillin, those were all radiances, emanations, rays. While when it comes down here, in a physical body, and actually puts on tefillin, actually lights candles, it's no more dealing with the spirituality, it's dealing with the essence. That's what the word mitzvah means. The word mitzvah means connection and oneness. It is the ultimate unity between the soul and God. A unity that it did not have even in paradise. In paradise it stood in the continuous growth of its love and fear of God, but it did not ever have that true unity of essence which can only take place in the physical world. Not for tonight's lecture, but that is why a soul cannot do teshuva once it leaves the body. Teshuva can only be done in the moment of essence, not in the moment of radiance. Not in the moment of spirituality. That's why once the soul passes away from this world, it cannot do teshuva, it must go through the unfortunate process of cleansing. Which is why it's so important that its offspring down here does physical deeds for it. Freedom of choice, which is hand in hand with teshuva, does not exist in the spiritual realms. So let's get back to what we're talking about. So now we understand that the soul came down here for a purpose. We understand that the body was created by two humans. We understand that the body will decompose. We understand that the soul enters the body, the soul leaves the body. Please look at it like a leased car. You lease the car, you return the lease. Why can't you put a tattoo on your body for the same reason that you're going to pay for every dent and scratch to the leasing company? It's not yours, you just leased it. When you understand that, you have a very clear picture that the body is the side dish and the soul is the main dish. What happens when you do that? What happens when you do that is you take care of the first level of the sickness. The body no more covers the soul because once you have identified the body as a vehicle to the soul, the body becomes transparent. So instead of hiding the soul, it actually magnifies the soul. Did you understand what I just said? Once the body is seen as a vehicle to the soul, then instead of hiding the soul, because it's not transparent, at that point, the body becomes transparent, and it now magnifies the soul. Because what the soul couldn't do to express its identity in heaven, it can now do to express itself here on earth. Physical, freedom of choice, mitzvahs for God. So the first process of the healing begins by station identification. 
way, 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 way back when I was a teenager. As they say, when Statue of Liberty was a little girl. What happened was that what always excited me was, 16 years old, got myself a license, and then it became a whole process. The boys, without the yeshiva knowing, renting cars, and then I remember we had the Datsun something CS that was a talking car. Ah, oh, Matsi is a talking car. You remember that? Or you remember the Datsun ZX talking car? Oh, my Huh? No, that was the Night Rider. I'm talking about a real car. The bottom line is, I had a Datsun 280ZX. 280Z, my dad wanted to talk. The one I drove, which was what I learned to shift on, I actually stripped the gears on that and returned it, <laughs> was a talking car. Your lights are on. <laughs> yeah, I know I did that. <laughs> I spent many nights in that car. Trust me, I know I did that. <laughs> bottom line. What we're talking about. What we're talking about is at that stage, I didn't care where I was going. I didn't have to go anywhere. I just need to get into that car and drive. So I was like, you want to go somewhere? I'll take you. <laughs> because it wasn't about where I had to go. It was about the excitement of getting into that car. You now understand what is the opposite of what I just told you. Where the body isn't a vehicle to get you somewhere. Rather, the soul is only here to give life to the body. Because what it's all about is the body. Follow what I told you. I didn't care where I was going. I just wanted to drive. And when you do that, then obviously the vehicle is identifying you instead of you identifying the vehicle. The normal blessing European Jews, you know, the great, the great grandmothers give when you buy a car is it should only take you to happy places. Very powerful statement. Remember, it's just a vehicle. It's where you're going, where you have to get to. May it only take you to happy places. This is not an easy process. This takes years and years and years of studying Hasidus. Not just studying it with your mind, but somehow coming up with the greatest challenge of all, which is to get through that moat between the mind and the heart known as the neck. Kabbalah, that is a huge challenge. The neck is made up of three ministers, we call them in Kabbalah, the three ministers of Pharaoh. The food pipe, the wind pipe, and the blood arteries. They all mess up the communication from the brain to the heart. So, I'm sitting here toying whether I should or I shouldn't, but I will. Just tonight, I had to talk to my son. And it wasn't an easy conversation. My son is going away next year. Son number two is going away next year to Yeshiva. And one of the questions the Yeshiva want to know from him is, before they accept him, they want to know from him, why do you want to come to this Yeshiva? It was a very interesting conversation. The question gets more detailed. You have certain things in Florida 
that you need to walk away from to come to our yeshiva. Is that what you want? Which gave me an opportunity to sit down with my son and talk to him. And he's like, all he wants to know is what am I supposed to say? And I said, you're supposed to say what you're feeling. So let's discuss what you're feeling. What is your identity? Who do you see yourself as? It's okay for a 13-year-old boy to think that an Audi is cool. But then you turn 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, what do you think then? So it was a very interesting conversation. And he asked me, Ty, understand what you're saying. I know what I want to be, but I don't know if I want it yet, and I don't know if I'm there yet. And I told him, the conversation we're having tonight has nothing what to do with where you stand today. We're having a conversation about something in Hebrew called Shi'ifat Hachayim. You speak Hebrew? Shi'ifat means... I'm not going to use the word outlook, but if you can add up outlook, yearning, goal, purpose, if you can put all that into one word, I think you're getting close to the definition of the word Shi'ifa. What is your Shi'ifa, Achayim? I'm not talking about whether you're dear yet. With the help of the good Lord, you'll have 120 years to get there. It's not a question of where you're standing, it's a question in which direction you're facing at least at the age of 13. Age of 43, you don't get away with that no more. But at the age of 13, that's the question on the table. That's what your school is asking. And that you can't play with yourself when it comes to that question. I want to, but not yet. Give me 20, 30, 40 years. When I'm retired and I can't do anything anyway, I'll become a chassid. You need to know what you're saying when you say the word I want. You need to know what you're saying when I've decided upon a destiny. But before you begin the journey, you need a destiny. And once you have the destiny, you need to make sure that your journey matches the destiny. So when we talk about the first step of refuah, when we talk about the first step of curing, when we look at the first step of the sickness, where the body is covering the soul. We now understand what we're talking about. We're talking about that definition of it's time for a station identification. Is the body covering the soul? Or is the body a protective vehicle for the soul? Is my body transparent? Or is my body denying that within it lies a godly soul. Look at it a different way. I just want to be practical with you people. So is Shabbos here so that we can rest, so that Monday we can go back to work refreshed? Or is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday all about preparing so that Shabbos can be honorable? How many times do you, like, God forbid, don't cross my siesta on Shabbat because you're going to kill my whole week? What's the vehicle and what's the identity? I can go on and on and on with this. 
Another perfect conversation is eating. Another very important part of this. Do I eat to live or do I live to eat? And it goes on and on and on. Do I work to live or do I live to work? Do I dress to be a somebody? Or am I somebody so I dress the way I dress? All of this is part of a chassid's real challenge. When we talk about station identification. This isn't a, an arena for childish play. I'm a proud Jew when no one's looking. I got my goals, my morals, my principles straight until I'm challenged. So station identification between the body and the soul is extremely real. So, the Rebbe was in his 90s. In the month of Tishrei. Very hard month for the Rebbe. Physically, very hard month for the Rebbe. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the fasting, the 10 days of Aseris Mechuvah, it's not an easy day. It's not an easy month for the Rebbe. And all of a sudden, the Rebbe went to his father-in-law's grave, which meant that he fasted that day besides a drink in the morning. And after a whole day standing on his feet, coming back, the Rebbe announces that he will, he's going to, the Rebbe spoke after Mincha, and the Rebbe announces that he'll be giving out packages of honey cakes, dollar bills, with, together with a mimer. Now you can understand that it's a weekday. You can understand that it's in the season of the high holidays. So, it doesn't make a difference in Park when they make fun of Lubavitch. On such a moment, they get into the cars and they come. So the line was long. The Rebbe's in his 90s, the Rebbe fasted a whole day, and it's in the month of Tishrei. Comes along a person who was with the Rebbe from before 1950. And he walks by the Rebbe, I'll never forget this. And he goes to the Rebbe, Rebbe, what's going to be with eating? Chassidim would like the Rebbe to stop, go upstairs and eat, and then the Rebbe can continue. The Rebbe fasted a whole day. He didn't eat before Mincha. He came straight down to Mincha, it was late. The Rebbe's answer was like this. Ah, vegendem et metrachten morgen. About eating, we'll think about tomorrow. That concept of station identification. It was the life of every chassid during that high holiday month. By the time your average Lubavitcher and Kran Heights that participated in the Rebbe's whole process of the month of Elul with all the Fabrengans, with all the Davenings, going through the Slichot, going through Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, when time you got to Simchas Torah, your body, this isn't no glorious thing for us to speak about ourselves. It wasn't our work. But by the time you got to Simchas Torah, your body was transparent. The fact that there were six people squeezed into what the fire department said, you could only have one person, did not bother you at all. There were moments in our lives where we physically understood what it meant that the body needs to be transparent to the soul's mission, goal, and identity. At those moments, the decomposition of the body did not cover the omnipotence of the soul. 
So when you talk about teshuva, understand what the definition of sickness is, the body covering the soul, and understand what the process of healing is. The soul telling the body, you don't cover me, you serve me. That's step number one. Then we have step number two. Step number two of the healing process. Interesting what we're going to talk about now. Is where the soul tells the body, stop worrying. In simple Jewish language, that's called emunah and bitachon. The body's worries, the body's interference, the body's perception of injustice, I need, I want, I don't have. And the body and the soul telling the body, there isn't a thing you need that you don't have. There isn't a thing that you deserve that you don't get. And stop worrying so much. There is no question that the greatest killer of our generation is called stress. So they do have mind-altering medications. No, no joke. I'm not, I'm not going to speak against it. Each to his own. Of course, with a doctor's guidance. No, I'm serious. I'm not joking. No. There's nothing to laugh about Prozac or any of this stuff. Because then you have someone who needs it, who feels uncomfortable. We had a president taking medicine, and he did quite well. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about. But we need to talk about the Jewish approach to this. If the doctor's telling you that you don't need medicine, you need to learn how to calm down. Then don't argue with him. So we need to understand what this means. Ailment comes from stress. It's the biggest killer. What is the refuah? What is the Aniyah Shem the month of Eir? What does it have to say about that? I asked, a, uh, I asked one of my teachers, he came to New York after many, many years. He's in Israel. He came to Torah to the Rebbe. And uh, I asked him, my cousin was engaged to his daughter at the time. And I asked him, Nudab Zalman, did you see everything? And he already had a couple of lachaims and a half. And he told me, Avrumi, told me in Yiddish, I'll translate it to you. Everything I was supposed to see, I saw. What an amazing answer. Simchas Torah by the Rebbe is very complicated. Because the Rebbe Dav is in front, and the Rebbe dances in the middle, and you don't know where you want to be. It's very hard to get a place where you see everything and hear everything. So the one standing from half back, their entire life of Simchas Torah, is the two dances that the Rebbe has. One year was three dances. The rest of the guys in the front, they're hearing all the communication that the Rebbe is having with everyone. Say, Lachayim, the Rebbe tells this doctor, that, this, that, sends this person to... So what's going on here? So at some point, everyone who walks out of there missed something. And his answer, after years and years and years of being in Kfar Chabad, comes to the Rebbe, and his answer to me, in total bliss. For me, 
everything I was supposed to see, I saw. So as you get into your cars tonight and drive home and see this other fancy car driving by you, I want you to know that every car you need to have, you have. And as you pull into your house and open up the door and see the old carpet and they've rubbed out this and the cabinet's falling apart, I want you just to know that every single house you're supposed to have, you have. And as you start looking at the bills, don't worry, every bill you're supposed to pay, you're going to pay. <laughs> it isn't easy what we're talking about. It isn't easy. Leaving go, trusting God, knowing that you have everything you need. Stop worrying about what you don't have. When you need it, it'll be there for you. And if it isn't there for you, then stop screaming that you need it. Stop telling God how unjust He is to you. We're talking about divine healing. I hope you didn't think I was going to come here and tell you to close your eyes and feel it happen. <laughs> that lecture I charge for. <laughs> but we're talking about divine healing. Divine healing is going to come from the inside out. And the work that your outside is going to be doing primarily is one thing. Get out of the way. So when we talk about healing from the mind, we're actually talking about open the mind. When we're talking about a healing from the heart, we're talking about open your heart. When we're talking about leave go of stress, we're talking about know that inside you, there is a complete peace that lacks nothing. So stop telling it that it doesn't know what it's missing. It is laughing at you. The soul looks at you and says, my God, this girl's been running on ice since the moment she was born, telling me I better hurry up because I'm missing, I'm missing, I'm missing. So understand that the process of healing is the process of inner peace, inner fulfillment, trust, and then station identification. Who's who? Body or soul? Who's the driver? Who's the vehicle? Who's the identity? And who's just a temporal vehicle of journey? Now let's go back to the question. So God's going to heal you once you're sick in such a way that you were never sick. How does that happen? How that happens is by realizing that you were never missing. You're sick over what you don't have. The process of divine healing is that there was nothing that you needed that you didn't have. When the healing's from the inside out then the healing is here to tell you, you were never sick. When the healing is from the outside in, it's telling you, listen, you wasted enough time, let's get going. I can't bring back yesterday, but at least from now, 
Right? Prayer of serenity. What's the prayer of serenity? God, give me the wisdom to know what I can fix and the strength to accept what I can't. And all that time that you're banging your head against the wall trying to fix what you can't, I'm sorry, chaval alazman. I'm sorry that you wasted your time. But you're not a young child no more. Years are going by. Stop wasting your time. The soul's point of healing is very different. The soul's point of healing is not telling you grab yourself by your bootstraps and get up. What it's telling you is leave, go. So we have over here two different processes of healing. We have where the soul has to tell the body you got it all wrong. There comes a moment in your life, and usually it comes with realizing that you're getting old, where you finally figured out that you didn't buy the phone to answer every single email. You bought the phone to get the emails that are important to you on time. Did you understand the difference of what I just said? <laughs> You're laughing, Spadar. It's amazing. Whenever ding dong, oh my god, oh my god, what is it? <laughs> it's spam. <laughs> but we do that all over and over and over again. It drives us nuts. Because we still didn't figure it out. This tool, this person. Not this king, this slave. The process of figuring that out is a glorious moment. The process where you realize that you can shut your phone while you pray. And when you finish praying and open up your phone, you will find out that God covered for you while you were busy. It's a glorious moment. This isn't a joke. Show it to my personal experience. So first, I couldn't shut the phone. Because if I shut the phone and someone calls and doesn't leave a message, I'll never know they called. So I put it on the quiet. <laughs> yeah, I know, we've been drinking from the same pot, right? And then, you realize, you know what? If they didn't leave a message, then I don't need to know that they called. And then you shut off the phone. It's not just no more, I'm quiet. And you feel like a mitzvah boy. Today, I've become a man. The process of healing. The process of healing is very real. The process of healing of station identification is extremely real. The day that you realize that my office is only worth what it does for me. That's all. Not more and not less. My car is only worth where it takes me to. My clothing is only worth how it allows me to express myself. If you ever catch me in a pink shirt and a pink tie, you will know that I lost it. It's that simple. Don't get me wrong, nothing wrong. Today, pink is coming back for men. Okay, good. But station identification. Who's who? This is a serious process of healing. Station identification. Another process of the healing is just leave go. Allow yourself to experience the core of your being 
which lacks nothing. Opening words of Tanya. Tanya We learn in chapter 3 of the Talmatractic Nida, the Brisa teaches us that before the soul comes down to this world, 40 days before, God makes the soul take an oath. You shall be righteous and you shall not be wicked. On that word oath, mashpim, we have different interpretations. Mashpim from the word shivua oath. Maspim from the word saturated, satisfied and full. And the word sheva, seven. Our sages say that God has filled the soul to the capacity of its seven emotions that it will need for its journey. Thus the soul, the soul, unlike the body, is never looking outwards for its needs. It's always looking inwards. The body is always looking outwards. The body is empty, it needs to take, take, take. The soul is full, it never needs to take. It needs to be allowed to express. I want to say that again. The soul never needs to take. It needs to be allowed to express. That's all. So in the month of Iyar, which is a powerful month, why? Because in the Svirat Omer, Nisan has 14 days, Iyar has 7 days, I'm sorry, Sivan has 6 days, but Iyar is a full month of Svirat Omer. It is the only month that has a mitzvah that carries through every single day of the month in Svirat Omer. Svirata Omer is a ladder. Svirata Omer is Tikkun Hamidot. You're working through your emotional infrastructure. In Kabbalah, there are two directions that that works. You remember the ladder of Jacob had angels going up and angels coming down. In life, in our personal, that means that number one, we're going up, we're elevating our animalistic soul's emotions. And we're coming down. We're bringing in the godly soul's characteristics of emotions. Sphere to Oma works both ways. At night, when we count, we only count from bottom up. We go from, I'm sorry, from top down. We go from Chesed to Malchut. In the books of Kabbalah, there's also a way of counting which goes from Malchut to Chesed. We don't do that practically. Practically, we just go from Chesed to Malchut. But for what I'm talking about now, if you focus with me for a moment, you will realize that these two forms are the two forms of healing I spoke about. There is the from bottom up, station identification, elevate the vehicle. How do you elevate the vehicle? By letting it live with its true identity. You're the vehicle. You're not the driver. Stop telling me where to go, just figure out how to go where I want you to go. That is one part of Tikkun Amidot, that's where the angels climb up the ladder. That's where the animalistic soul needs to go up. And the way to pick the animalistic soul up is by hitting it down. I'm going to say this again. The way to pick the animal soul up is by hitting it down. 
for all the animal rights movement, throughout activists here, and I want to start up with you, but do not discipline the animal, and you will not have a trained animal. Really. Don't sit down and tell the dog how much you love him, so please don't poop on the carpet. It won't work. It just won't work. There's a process. King Solomon says, the dog needs to be trained by the stick. The way to elevate your animalistic soul is by pushing it down. You overstepped your identity. You don't know who you are no more. I need to have a moment of station identification. Some of you heard this from me. I've spoken from the podium about this in the sermons. But one of my favorite scenes is the, in the Nemo, the turtle moment. He introduces the little turtle as offspring. I love that moment. My kids saw the video, which is why I saw it, and I use that all the time. Whoa, 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 guys, station identification. Parent, offspring, got it? Parent, offspring. Parent tells offspring what to do, right? Good. Station identification. It's not about logic, it's not about explaining, it's not about I hope you understand. I've tried to let you understand, but now it's an executive moment. Time to be able to identify. You need to have that between your body and your soul. You need to have that identifying moment where soul tells body, hey, guy, executive, driver. Got that? Let's get this straight. Vehicle, driver. Let's get this very straight here. I tell you what to do, you do it. And then there's the latter point where once you do have things set up straight, horse in front, cart in back, you know, cart in front of the horse isn't a good scene. Horse in front, cart in back, then you have the next process. The next process is where the soul tells the cart, the body, stop stressing on me. Just don't worry. So I'm going to share with you something that I've shared many times. Another personal moment. I've had the pleasure of someone deciding that they want to take me horseback riding, teach me how to do horseback riding. So we used to go every Wednesday up and uh, take over there next to... Uh, that's that big mall over there, Sawgrass, on that street over there. There's a bunch of horse places. So, we're having a very interesting moment. This person's training me in how to do horseback riding. It taught me so much of what I learned in Chassidus. You see, horses, unlike other animals, don't really have any weapons to protect itself. Do you know how a horse protects itself? You know that? It's very simple. I'm out of here. It runs. You ever see a horse? A horse takes off. A horse gets spoofed, it takes off. When you see a horse walking backwards, kicking its feet, it's doing what it does. So here we're going horseback riding, and there's a little rabbit in the grass. Horse isn't brilliant, but horse is smart enough to know I just heard something, and in the horse's eyes there's no little rabbit. There's this big puma waiting to jump in and eat it. What's the horse doing? The horse is backing up. What are you doing? holding off their life now. What you're doing is, you're actually becoming assertive. Heels in the sides, holding the ropes, using it to hit back and forth, and sometimes a smart rap on the tush. What's going on here? I will tell you what's going on. Horses sense the emotions of their riders just by the way you sit on the horse. If you're afraid, the horse will sense it. If you're not afraid, 
in the background of its screaming static, it's sensing it. What are you telling the horse? What you have to tell the horse, don't talk to your horse, but what you're actually telling your horse is, I saw, I heard, I know, it's okay, you can move on. The relationship between a horse and its rider is dependent upon the horse learning that it can trust its rider. And while my inner makings is screeching, get out of here, I sense that my rider saw, heard, knows, and is telling me it's okay. When the horse senses that, you will actually find the horse doing things which is totally against its nature. It's not spoofing, it's not running, it's walking forward. When you see trained horses of cops, riot cops, marching into a crowd, you understand what just happened here. Under normal circumstances, the horse is not doing that. It is petrified. One of the hardest things in horseback riding is to be the leading horse. Because every horse is competitive, they want to be number two. Number one gets eaten. We need to be number two. Not number three, I'm not a fool, but number two. The job of the leader is to be able to let his horse know it's okay to be number one. I got your back covered. Now let's talk about what we're talking about here. So the body is screeching. I'm losing power, I'm losing identity, I'm getting old, what's going on here? And the soul is telling the body, shh, I see it, I hear it, I'm telling you, it's okay. But what are you talking about? I'm becoming kosher, the boys think I'm nuts, no one wants to go out with me, show me Shabbos, my business is falling apart. What are you thinking, what are you doing, what are you nuts? You won't move to B'nai Brock, but around here, come on guy. And the soul's telling the body, I see it, I hear it, it's okay. You won't be starving, you won't be homeless, and you won't die an old maid. Take it easy. There's a path here. I know what I'm doing. Very important process. That is, I would share with you, the ultimate process of healing. So in the real healing language, talk about blockage. What is blockage? Blockage is a horse's regular, natural reaction to everything. It's spoofed out, it's off track, it's getting out of here. Opening up blockage means only one thing. The soul has everything. Get out of its way. Open up blockage. Allow your soul to express itself. Allow your soul to tell you, stop being so worried. Stop seeing doomsday all over the place. Stop seeing that everyone is getting ahead of you in life. Stop seeing that you're falling behind the whole pack and you're just becoming a nothing. Take it easy. Tranquilo. Step by step. Let it go. Let it go. So when we talk about the healing of ear, we're talking about understanding, I'm not sick. 
this is not a futuristic preventional medicine. This is knowing that everything I've been through is okay. It's us as humans understanding that within us we have a divine soul that transcends beyond time. I don't need to turn back time to make yesterday okay. I just need to realize that every moment of my past was okay. How do I know? Because it happened. God don't make mistakes. It's okay. Just stop getting out of the way. Stop getting in the way. So, in closing. Whoa, sorry. Mendel? Yeah, man, I'm sorry. I shut off the, the thing. I'm in the smack middle of a lecture. But I realize you have to go to bed. I just want to tell you good night. Can you speak up? Beautiful. Mazel tov. If you can't call me in 10 minutes, please do, okay? Love you, kiddo. Bye. Sorry. Kids out of town. I might take those calls. Back to what we're talking about. Let's be practical, okay? Let's be practical. Can we all, for a moment, we're doing a quick healing session, okay? Can we all, for one moment, take the one thing in life that we think that because we're missing it, our life can never be whole? Take that one thing. Taking your mind the one thing that you really believe stands as the greatest blockage between you and your destiny. I'm talking about the type of thing that just the mere picturing it in your mind sends that feeling through your whole body. Healing process? Leave go of it. Just leave go of it. Listen to your soul telling you that you don't need it to get to where you need to get to. Because the soul isn't missing anything that it needs to fulfill its destiny. Hear your body screaming, no, you don't understand. Hear your soul saying very quietly, it's okay. Leave go. I want to tell you a story. A true story. A story that was printed in a psychological magazine. Psychology magazine. There was a girl who lived in an apartment. She walked into the apartment and a big heavy colored person followed her. And uh, she was a student of yoga. And she writes her whole process of whatever, whatever, whatever. Bottom line is I want to just fast forward the story that... That guy was never arrested, he got away, and now she's living with a double nightmare. A, it happened. B, it can always happen again. He's out there. She doesn't even have the luxury of knowing that he's locked away. And this figure, obviously, kept on returning to every single nightmare of hers. Until she stopped running from it. Until she actually embraced it. She closes her article by saying that what she ended up doing was turned that figure 
into a caricature cartoon. She said of which movie, I don't know what. And then she writes, the final moment was when that caricature asked her, is it okay if I stay? And she answered that caricature, as long as you promise not to hurt me ever again. And it committed. And her therapy came to an end. Follow what we're talking about? Not an easy process. A frightening process. But we've been taught all our life to run away, run away from pain. Run away from what we think is no good. All of a sudden we're realizing that there's nothing in our life that is no good. There's nothing in our life that's no good. Please understand how I dealt with that article. You see, the man that walked into that room with her, followed her when she opened the door to her apartment, was a real man. That wasn't part of her. But every single other moment that that man existed in her mind, that was her. Her mind is her. So she can deal with that. You see, once you're dealing with the concept that the world is holistic and everything is within you, then you're in control of what's within you. You can be afraid of it, you cannot be afraid of it. You can run away from it, or you can face it. You can talk to it, or you can tremble in front of it. You can embrace it and just say, it's okay. You can stop thinking how you were so, pardon the French, shafted in your life. This happened to me, and you don't understand. You would never be the same. Life has been destroyed. Or you can just stop. There is a teaching. There is a teaching that I have not found a source for, but I've heard it said so many times. There is a teaching that the soul agrees to its destiny and its journey. Somewhere, it is interesting to know that everything you've been through, your soul knew before it came down here and it agreed to go through it. For what reason? Your soul knows. Your soul isn't stupid. Imagine that. The horrors, the pains, the suffering, the letdowns. Everything that happened. The abuse. I mean, we could just go on. Whatever someone had in their life. Just to know that your soul agreed to go through that. Can you now understand what it means when your soul tells you, it's okay. I saw it. I heard it. Not now. Before I even came down here. It's okay. It's okay. I can handle this. We can handle this. Stop getting off the path. Move on. Ani Hashem Refaecha. I am God, your healer. The way I heal you is that before you're born, I already gave you the remedy and the strength to go through everything you'll ever have to go through. So stop reaching outwards for help. Reach inwards. The only reason a person should ever reach outwards for help is to ask someone to help me reach in and find what I need to deal with this situation. The month of Eir. 
If you take your Tikkun Hamidot seriously, the Sphere to Omer process, seriously, the correction of emotions, characteristic traits, seriously, then you're embracing both parts of your healing process. Part number one is to tell the soul and the body relationship, stop, you're hurting me. You're getting in my way. I can't learn, I can't daven, I can't be, I can't feel. You're getting in my way. You're affecting me. And the reason why you're affecting me is because there was a mix-up of identity here. Somewhere along the line, I let you get into the driver's seat and I scooted over to the passenger seat. We need to get out of the car and switch. I need you, Mr. Body, to get back into the passenger seat and let me, Mr. Soul, get into the driver's seat. I can't go on no more. You're getting in my way. Then when you take care of that problem, step number two is... <laughs> there are more women here than men, so I should be careful. But most of us men know what happens when the wife's in the, dri- in the passenger seat. She's actually driving, right? You know how to tell her, right? She's stressing you out. That's the second part of the cure. Hey, I saw that. I heard that. I'm okay. Relax. Calm down. Why don't you turn up the radio? Listen to some nice music. Enjoy the ride. Stop trying to point out to me all the almost accidents we almost had. He almost killed me. Almost this, almost that. Cool, lady. Have a seat. Here, have a drink. Enjoy. Station identification. The rider telling the horse. Seen it, heard it, take it easy. I'm okay. I lack nothing. Okay, guys? Questions? Huh? Sorry? I'm not being disrespectful. You're just telling me all this song. Good night. Just tells me good night. Yes? Yeah, I know. Spiritual being having a human experience. Very nice. Very important. Very important. Understanding who the being is and what the experience is. A lot of what we've been talking about today. nothing more pitiful than seeing an abusive relationship. A pauper explain a princess that she's a nobody. Questions? Anyone? Okay. Next Thursday in the park. Official healings. Meditation. Thank you, guys.
Yeah, but you're better than me. No, I don't. If we can get it, please, that would be great. How do I shut this off?